to Pastor Joe today. Um, thank you for this time. Thank you for this place. And thank you uh, for the gift of your son, the one true God in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks, team. It's good to see you guys today. Uh, I'm Joe Davis. Uh, you can bring the slides up now. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're continuing this series on 1 John. We've titled the series, So Our Joy is Complete. The, the idea behind it was that John was writing a letter to a church that needed to be encouraged. Their joy had, had left them because they had been under attack uh, in many different ways. And the title of today's message is Preaching to the Choir. So um, this, Megan, can you guys start dressing like this in like tuxedos and stuff? And I think that'd be great. So let me, was that, what's that? Fine, uh, just just, just uh, email me the bill to, uh, to Jen Gillespie at gracelifesrq.com. So um, the reference preaching to the choir actually is a very new one. Uh, there really is no uh, reference to it in modern dialogue till about 1973. Did you know that? And many other references date to right around there or soon after that. And so before 1973, there is no record in modern vernacular of somebody saying you're preaching to the choir. And back then in the 70s, every good church had a choir. Every real church had a choir or at least a service with a choir in it. And the people in the choir are those people that, you know, they never miss a Sunday, right? They're always faithful. Matter they're going to choir practice. Uh, they dress nice. The people in the choir, they are the real Christians. They are the ones that are there, right? And so, therefore, it means, look, it's a waste of time to preach to those who already have faith in Christ. And it actually is kind of a very negative, trust me, you're preaching to the choir. In other words, shut up, I don't need to hear this. That's what preaching to the choir means, right? It's a waste of time. It's a pointless exercise. You're preaching to people who already know it, who have already heard it, no big deal. But that's wrong. <clears throat> in today's section in 1 John, that's exactly what John is doing is he's preaching the most simplest of gospel messages to the choir, if you will. And so as I go forward today, any reference to the choir is not really a choir. I think you get that, right? I'm talking about faithful followers of Jesus, hopefully what most of us are. So let's read the passage in John, uh, 1 John chapter 2. Here's what he writes to them. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. In other words, I'm writing to people that know Jesus, and I'm talking about Jesus to people who already know it. I'm not writing to you because you don't know. I'm not like a missionary here. I'm like talking to people who agree with me. That's what he says. I write to you because you do not, I, I, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning, in other words, let the basic fundamentals that you heard at the very beginning of your faith, let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. 
if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, that original message of the gospel, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us if we abide in the Son. That is this, eternal life. That's the passage. He is preaching clearly to the choir. So let's look at the history of this passage. What was going on with men at the time in the church and, and, and what's going on, what's happening? So I want to call this part the crisis of faith. What I want you to understand here is the faithful choir in this church in Ephesus that John is writing to, actually the whole region of Asia Minor, the faithful are struggling. They're hurting. They're reeling. We've talked about some of the things that have happened in them already because of this, this false teaching called Gnosticism, which quite, by, by the way, is, is very, it's nothing new. It's very similar to all the, the new stuff that's going on today. And what we see here is there is absolute scorn for the choir. The Gnostics in that region scoffed at those who stayed true to the gospel. I mean, not only did the Gnostics teach a different gospel, they made fun of those who didn't believe them and stuck with the apostolic teachings of Jesus. They attacked them for their intellect and their intelligence and their ability to reason. You are just not smart enough to understand the real truth. They scoffed at their beliefs about sin. They scoffed at the idea of redemption through the cross and that righteousness need to be a result of that. And they led others in the community who weren't even Christians to do the same. So what had begun to happen in the region is not only were the Gnostics scoffing at Christians, they were causing other people who weren't even part of the church to scoff at them. You silly Christians. This Jesus thing is so childish. Grow up. Be like us. Get the higher knowledge. Be enlightened. So the choir, if you will, is now demoralized. They're in a quandary full of social, right? They were ostracized in many areas of the communities. Personal, they would endure personal attacks on their intellect, their intelligence, Economic hardships, they were sometimes cut out of things and they suffered economically because of their faith. And so what began to happen for this church, this, the faithful in this church, the joy of being a child of God by faith in Christ has now been squelched. They are discouraged. Now they didn't doubt God or the gospel but try to see if you can see the subtle difference. What they really doubted was themselves. Maybe, maybe they're right. Maybe I didn't hear the apostles correctly. Maybe John said this and I just wasn't, I'm, I'm too stupid. Maybe I'm not smart enough to figure it out like these higher learning people are. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe these smart Gnostic folks are right. Perhaps I'm just a spiritual moron. This was the mindset, the burden that these early Christians were facing. So John writes them and he says, no, 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 no. You've got it right. This, can you imagine how important it was for them to get this letter from John the Elder, the last living apostle? And he says, listen, I'm writing to those that were the subject of the song. Remember we talked about that song that he wrote for them just a, a couple of weeks ago. We talked about that in this message. He's writing to those same people that he wrote that song about. 
Uh, the one, you know, I'm writing to you young men because you're strong. I'm writing to you fathers because you are strong in the faith. He writes that passage. He writes to those who are subject of that song. He writes not because they didn't know the truth, he says, but because they did. He writes to those, he's preaching to the choir. He writes to those that already trust Christ. And why does he write to them? For this reason, he wanted them to have full joy. He says, the very part of beginning of 1 John chapter 1, I'm writing this letter to you because your joy is not full anymore and I want your joy to be full. These are the core of the church. The most faithful followers of Christ. He is, in fact, preaching, if you will, to the choir. John wants to assure them, but you understand there's complicated issues going on here. They had resisted these false teachers who told them they were idiots for not believing in the higher knowledge of salvation and, not, and just rejecting this idea of Christ having to die for them. That's silly. And these false teachers had been forced to leave their fellowship, but now they have lost their friends. They are subject of local scorn, financial burden. And in the face of all of that, John swoops in and reminds them that, hey, listen, you have been anointed by the Holy One. You know the truth. You had it right at the beginning. Yes, it is that simple. Yes, that's the way Jesus set it up. You were correct. Listen carefully. I, John the Elder, am telling you, you're not stupid. You didn't get it wrong. You got it right. They're wrong. And that's when he goes into detail about how they got it wrong. Then he defines at its core why these false teachers are the source of their plight and the scorn and why they are wrong. He explains the difference between the liars and those who are in the choir, if you will, those who are of the truth. Remember, just as a way of review, the Gnostic view of salvation was primarily that salvation was achieved by an acquisition of higher knowledge, secret knowledge, hidden knowledge, kind of like this Da Vinci Code kind of knowledge. It was this so-called higher knowledge that the ordinary person was not able to acquire. You had to be a special person to acquire this higher knowledge. And if you didn't embrace the higher knowledge, you just had personal limitations. They denied, the Gnostics, they deny the concepts of depravity. They deny the concepts of the context of the res resurrection. They deny the idea that we need redemption and it comes through the work of Christ on the cross. They denied all of that. Their denial here is not just a denial that Jesus is Messiah, but a denial of the very fact that Jesus was incarnated as God. Jesus is just a man, and he remained a man. He just had the spirit of Christ. They had accepted the Gnostics. What was really big then was the acceptance of this heretic, Nate Serenthus, who called Jesus the Christ, but who denied the apostolic definition of Jesus and the Bible. Jesus was just a man his entire life. He was a road sign to truth. He wasn't himself an embodiment of the truth, even though Jesus says, I am the word. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the way. The he says all that, but they're saying, no, 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 you don't understand. Jesus wasn't the truth. He was just merely a road sign pointing you to a higher truth. 
He's just a conduit. He's not really anything more than that. He's an object lesson. John says, no, no, no. If they deny the Christ, they deny the Father. You don't deny the Christ, so you are abiding with the Father. So let's look at the spiritual side. That's the, 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 the theological side. What about God and what does he do? I've entitled this, Jesus Saves the Choir. Aren't you glad? <laughs> this section is actually pretty short today because there's not much here. It's very simple. I'm going to read the passage again, a part of it. The last couple of verses. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. What John makes very clear, choir, is, it, is what I want to make very clear today in this spiritual theological section. Here it is. Relax. You got it right. There isn't some missing, higher, secret knowledge required to be connected to the Father. You aren't lacking what you need for full joy. Yes, there's more information, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But you aren't missing. You got it right. It's really that simple. Jesus died for those he loves so that they might live. There aren't any special hidden secrets in code written in the ancient writing somewhere that you have to figure out and decipher. Jesus promised and recorded by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in their Gospels that he would be the one to save you. And you can trust what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. It's not God who leads you to a higher plane of existence so that maybe you can get to the point where you're connected. No. God is the one who called you, anointed you, and sealed you. It's his job, not yours. It's that simple. Relax. You got it right. You see, Jesus wouldn't declare himself the way and the truth and the life, and then throw you a curveball and say, oh, but also you have to have this special hidden information. He said it. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John says, this is what you heard in the beginning. This is the way it is. You got it right. The simple truth is Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. He said he was enough and he meant it. The very first day you began to trust, you had it right. Because God never changes. Church, understand why we do the historical, the spiritual, and then the, the personal or the devotional side. Here's why. We sandwich the spiritual or the theological, what God does, in between the two for this reason. God doesn't change. Whether it was people a thousand, two, three, five thousand years ago, God does not change. God is the reason we study the spiritual truths of each passage. It's the reliable actions of God, his words, his promises that are the foundation of our faith and why you can trust Jesus. You can trust the gospel in its simplest form. It's about knowing and trusting Jesus' words, period. Now listen to me carefully. 
I'm not asking you to be blind sheep. This doesn't mean that your faith can't stand up to scrutiny. I promise you it certainly can. And we invite the scrutiny at Grace Life. And I'll give you more on this later. But I want to go to the personal application of this. I want to talk about caring for the choir. The first thing I want you to see is the choir comes to church. For the most part, if you're here today, you're probably part of the choir. I know some of you can't sing worth nothing, but don't worry about it. You're part of the choir. You recognize your sinfulness. <laughs> you recognize your sinfulness. You recognize your need for redemption. You also recognize how it is provided through Jesus Christ and the cross. And you are here, and you wouldn't think of leaving Jesus. Your faith is solid, and you know what you believe. However, the choir is under constant attack. See, just because you're faithful doesn't mean that you don't struggle from time to time. In fact, I would be concerned if you didn't struggle. You know why? Think about it. Who else would the, the forces of darkness want to target except the choir? We are the problem. We know following Jesus is not something that the world tries to encourage. Even if, even if the world doesn't do it overtly, the natural process and system of the world is designed to give you obstacles at every turn that restrict your joy. The concept of being connected to the Father through the work of Christ and his people, frankly, is a head-scratcher to most of the world. Doesn't make any sense. As a matter of fact, sometimes, not always, but sometimes it's even mocked, this idea of connection. The choir is constantly targeted by the world, its philosophies, it's scorn, endlessly subjected to spiritual attacks. And the choir is playfully, sometimes out of half-joking and scornfully mocked for our silly fairy tales of Jesus, belief in an afterlife. I even get it in my day job. Friends that I've known for years that I work with during the day. How can you believe in these things? Sometimes they're joking, and sometimes they're saying, boy, you're an idiot. I like these people, and they like me, but sometimes they playfully scorn me. Sometimes it's like, I can't believe you believe in this Jesus stuff. So the choir, us, you, we aren't immune to fits of doubt. No wonder, right? Discouragement? Frustration? Can any of you relate to this in your faith? Do sometimes you feel robbed of joy? Like, I, I know Jesus, and I know the gospel, and I know that's my lot in life, and that's, what, that's where my portion is, and I trust it. But man, I sure don't feel connected. Do I have it wrong? What if I don't got it? The most faithful members of the choir will at times have doubt and even temporarily maybe be led astray. That's why the choir needs encouragement. The choir needs to be preached to. Because look, this following Jesus stuff, 
is a lot harder and complicated than we thought it would be. Am I right? There are times of testing, wandering, even doubting and questioning. Inevitably, what happens is life on earth encroaches on our faith. And we find ourselves in the same place as these believers that John was writing to. Do I have it right? Your faith gets bogged down. Can anybody relate to that? Your joy wanes because of events in your life. Arguments, confusion, sometimes stuff that happens within the choir. You choir people, jeez. <clears throat> Maybe you start to think, I must be missing something. I don't feel connected anymore. Let me make sure you understand something. Just because you struggle with doubt or waver doesn't mean you aren't connected. Did you hear that? Just because you struggle with doubt doesn't mean you aren't connected. That's Christ's job to keep you connected, not yours. So when life is overwhelming and we need assurance about the basics that we are on the right track, that's what preaching to the choir is. That's why when I preach to the choir, it's not a waste of time. It's to renew our passion, to make our joy full once again. Think back to that full joy moment you embraced, the simple gospel of Jesus. Do you remember that? That moment when your eyes were open to the fact that you were depraved and you needed forgiveness and the forgiveness of Christ rushed in and suddenly you had this joy. Do you remember that feeling? Think back to that. Choir, listen to me. Today, I want you to renew your joy, to find comfort in the reliable, simple gospel you trusted at first. Now look, I know some of you love the theological distinctions the deep stuff that some call it. That's cool. I got no, test your faith. Go for it. I challenge you. Matter of fact, we will, and we often do go into details about that stuff when we preach, like the Gnostics. The Gnostics again, Joe? Well, yeah, some, of them want, some people want to hear about it. We talk about those finer points of theology. I do that. It's not so that you know it all. You know why I do that? Because I know that I want you to begin to learn these things. I want you to master these concepts so that we can help you with doubt. I do want you to get a sense, even if you don't want to master these concepts, I want you to get a sense of the philosophical, intellectual depth that is contained within the simplicity of the gospel. That what we believe, even in its simplest form, has tremendous merit, and it will stand up to any intellectual scrutiny. You know those times in your life where it's very critical that you be right? Like you have a big decision on the line, and you think you have the information, you think you have the knowledge, but, but man, there's a chance that I don't, and if I'm wrong, this is going to be costly. Very high stakes. What's higher than eternity? You know that, those moments in your life where you have to be right and there's this relief that overcomes you? Oh, I had it right, thank goodness. Can you imagine the relief 
when we see Jesus face to face. It was that simple. Thank you, God, because if it had been any more complex, I'd have been in big trouble. Thank you. I thought it was right. I, I, I trusted it, and, and John says it was right, and I think it's... But man, to see it, wow, it was... Can you imagine that sense of relief we're going to have that day? <laughs> this is what drives me each week to research, study, pray, and write to come up with ways to teach and demonstrate the choir that the truth, even in its simplest form, is strong enough to save any of us. It's one of the reasons why I love Ravi Zacharias. He has a podcast called Let My People Think. If you've never heard of it, write it down, look it up. You're one of those people who likes the deeper, finer things. Go for it. You'll never be exhausted listening to that. He'll always give you more stuff. So our faith, it doesn't mean, I'm not saying you don't worry about this, the complex stuff. What I'm saying is if you don't want to worry about it, you don't have to. But that's what we're here for. If that's not you, I want to carry that burden for you. Our, your leaders, if you don't feel insufficient or if you feel insufficient or incomplete, let us carry that. Let us be your support when your joy wanes. Ask us questions. I'm really struggling with this right now. I think I have it right. Pastor Joe, is it right? Choir, I want you to have confidence that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That you may not know everything, but you have all you need in the fundamental truth of Jesus in the gospel. You know and believe what is necessary for salvation. You know it. You have it. You have had all you needed from the very beginning when God first saved you. I want you, choir, listen, to return to the full joy you had when you first learned. The way you felt, as John says in his passage, from the beginning. And so with that, I'm going to give you this verse that John wrote in his gospel, words of Jesus. Here's what Jesus says. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. As you wander around and you struggle, sometimes you're, you're really feeling good about your faith. Sometimes you're struggling in and out. You are secure. Ask the questions. Study. Seek out those who love and care for your soul. We can help you. That's our burden. But just know this, church, choir, I'm preaching to you today. You got it right. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Heavenly Dad, I want to thank you so much for the simplicity of the gospel. I'm so thankful that... <clears throat> It's a simple truth that stands up to the greatest scrutinies. I'm thankful that even when we waver, when we feel disconnected, it's your job to keep us connected. And as members of the choir, God, help us to recognize that sometimes we need to be preached to. We need to have our joy full.